Well, good morning, folks. It's wonderful to be back with you again. It's just like coming home. Last Monday, when I asked the Lord what he wanted me to bring to you and share with you today, he dropped one word into my mind immediately. And it was the word kingdom. Now, when you hear the word kingdom in the context of church and Bible, what are the thoughts that come into your mind? Now, don't tell me out loud. Uh, I wonder, what are the thoughts that come into your mind when you hear that word kingdom? It's an interesting fact that in Matthew's Gospel, Mark's Gospel, and Luke's Gospel, the word kingdom occurs 83 times. But in Matthew's Gospel alone, it occurs 37 times. How many times in Matthew's Gospel do we find the word church? Two times. And yet, we speak frequently about the church, and we know what we're talking about. We know it's a company of people who belong to Jesus, who've been born again, adopted into the family of God. This is the church. Literally in the Greek language, ecclesia, the called out ones called out from the world into the church. Let's pray before we go any further. Father, we want to understand what it is you're wanting to share with us this morning and build into our lives. And so that's why we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit to help me as I speak and help all of us as we respond to what you will say to us. In Jesus' name. Yes, we use the language of church perfectly freely and that's right and proper. But the word kingdom has been widely misunderstood by Christians over the years. I went once to a minister's meeting during the Baptist Assembly in Aberdeen many, many years ago. And the speaker was one of the lecturers who was teaching Church of Scotland ministers in Aberdeen. And he virtually confessed that he wasn't very sure what the kingdom really is. If you've had the Jehovah's Witnesses in your doorstep, they'll tell you what their idea of the kingdom is. They love talking about the kingdom, but the church has been sadly silent about the kingdom. Most of us of my generation encountered the word kingdom, first of all, in school, in day school. Because in these days we recited the Lord's Prayer either every day or at least once a week. And it included the words, of course, thy kingdom come, your kingdom come. We didn't know what we were asking for, but we asked for it anyway. As we shared in praying the Lord's prayer. But what is it? It is not another name for the church. Because we're led by Jesus to ask for it, that suggests we haven't yet got it. If we've already got it, we wouldn't be asking for it, would we? So there's certainly a future dimension to it, whatever else there is. And in the ultimate sense, the kingdom in its fullness will only come when our Lord Jesus comes back to planet Earth. But in the very next breath almost, our Lord Jesus, in the same chapter 6 of Matthew, tells people there's no need to worry because God knows our needs and he's promised to supply them. The basics of life he's promised to give to us. And Jesus says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow and all these things. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. 
Oh. Well, we won't need his righteousness. We won't need to be seeking his righteousness after this life is over. We need it now. So the kingdom and the righteousness seem to belong together somehow. So, in a sense, in its fullness, it won't come till Jesus comes back. But in another sense, it has come. Because we shall see that that was a proclamation with which the early preachers began. The gospel, we're clear about the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And it's the good news of what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross for our sins and was raised again from the dead. That's the good news. It's the essence of it. And it's meant to produce in us, it can produce in us by the working of the Holy Spirit, it can produce in us salvation. We're clear on all that, yes. But what about the kingdom? If the kingdom, if the church is about people, then what is the kingdom really about? And in a general sense, it's about power. You see, the very word kingdom implies a king. And real kings are not just figureheads. They are people with authority and power in the highest sense in human relationships. So the kingdom really is about power. It's about God ruling. Now God does some of his ruling directly without our involvement. But other parts of God's ruling operation, he wants to do through people who are redeemed, who are saved, who know him. Mm. God rules through people. And God's people are called to be a kingdom force. I haven't read a passage of scripture because we're looking at various different scriptures as we go on through here. So when we try to discover more adequately what God's kingdom really is, we can begin by saying it is to be sought in prayer. We've seen that. We've seen that. Jesus says we're to pray for the kingdom. We're to seek the kingdom. And if you think back to the Lord's Prayer, your will be your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the kingdom coming is, a direct, is, is directly linked with the will of God being done. The kingdom coming in power brings God's will to be done on earth. That's how he gets his will done. By the kingdom power impacting people and situations of many kinds. Now this, this kingdom that we're to seek in prayer, first of all, it has been widely preached. Let's just begin in Matthew's Gospel. And we find in Matthew chapter 3, uh, John the Baptist comes and begins preaching in the desert of Judea. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now do remember that Matthew was writing his version of the Gospel for Jewish readers. And the Jewish people were very sensitive about using God's name. And so they preferred to substitute something else in place of the name of God. So they say, well, we put heaven in place of the name of God because that's where he comes from. That's where his power comes from. So the kingdom of heaven in Matthew is another description of the kingdom of God. Other gospels would call it the kingdom of God. 
we move over to chapter 4 verse 17 and we find the Lord Jesus coming and beginning to preach with the same message the identical same message as John the Baptist repent he said for the kingdom of heaven is near you see if we begin to grasp the kingdom of heaven is king, God, God's kingly power impacting us what is he doing this for? because he wants to make some changes and that's why the word repent is right there at the beginning because that implies a change of attitude, a change of mind leading to a change of lifestyle if we go to chapter 5 of Matthew's gospel we find what has been not inappropriately described as Jesus' manifesto we're kind of familiar with the word manifesto in preparation for the election the politicians say this is what we will give you this is what we'll do for you if you follow us this is our manifesto and in a sense Jesus is saying the same thing in what we call the Sermon on the Mount it begins actually with the words blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God oh yes if we fast forward a little bit to chapter 9 of Matthew's gospel to verse 35 we find there that Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom now he could equally have been described as preaching the good news of salvation but obviously he was preaching it in terms of the kingdom and that's why it's described this way He's preaching the good news of the kingdom and he's healing every kind of disease and sickness. So you see, he's preaching the message of God's power impacting people in situations and at the very same time he's healing sickness and disease. The power of God is seen in action. Oh, moving to chapter 10. And we find now Jesus is sending out the twelve apostles to do exactly the same as he himself has been doing these twelve Jesus sent out with these instructions go he says to the lost sheep of Israel as you go verse 7 preach this message the kingdom of heaven kingdom of God is near heal the sick raise the dead cleanse those who have leprosy drive out demons freely you have received freely give we used to sing a chorus sometimes which said freely freely you have received freely freely give and when people start singing a chorus like that, they're very apt to think, oh, this is all about money. No, it's nothing to do with money. It's not money at all. It's giving what God can give through you to other people who need it. Because Jesus is sending his apostles, his disciples out to minister healing and deliverance. And it's all happening in the context of this message, the kingdom of God is near. You see, if you need help, that nobody but God can give and the message comes God wants to turn up in your space in your face beside your needs and he comes with power to change bad situations into good situations that's got to be good news isn't it the good news of the kingdom well let's go over to John's gospel and what do we find there? We find in John chapter 3, very familiar words, we find our Lord Jesus in conversation with Nicodemus, who was one of the Jewish 
leading rulers. He comes under cover of darkness. He doesn't want his associates in the ruling council to know he's meeting this strange rabbi Jesus. And he says to Jesus, no one could perform the miracles you're doing if God were not with him. And Jesus kind of bluntly says in response, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born again, he cannot see what? The kingdom of God. And there are three different words for seeing that Jesus could have used, but he used one that means to see with understanding. You see, I could see a computer. <laughs> I don't understand the first thing about them. So I wouldn't be seeing it with understanding. And Jesus is talking here about seeing with understanding. And he says, unless you're born again, that's impossible. And Nicodemus is puzzled, of course, and says, how can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asks, surely he can't enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. He misunderstands what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus responds, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God can be seen without entering into it, but it can also be seen and entered into it. But Jesus is telling Nicodemus, and he's telling us this morning, unless you're born again, you will not be able to do either of these things. You will not be able to enter into this kingdom of God realm. You won't even be able to see it with understanding. You may see it without understanding, but you won't see it with understanding. Oh. Moving to the Acts of the Apostles, the early church's history book. And we come to Acts chapter 8 and we find by this time Philip is preaching in Samaria. And the Lord is blessing him wonderfully. And we're told there in Acts 8 verse 12, when the people believed Philip as he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. So you see, what John the Baptist did before Jesus came, what Jesus said when he came, what his followers said afterwards, was the same thing. They preached the kingdom of God. Hmm. Move further over in the book of Acts into chapter 19. And we encounter the Apostle Paul now in Ephesus in Turkey. And we're told there in verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Not actually mentioning the gospel, it seems, as such, though that he was. But the emphasis was on his arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Winston Churchill once said something to this effect that nobody with a, with a Christian preacher would dream of speaking on the same subject every Sunday for a whole year. But you see there in Ephesus Paul preached for three months on the same subject, it seems. The subject was the kingdom of God. Well, well, well. If we go to the very end of the book of Acts, it ends on a positively thrilling note. By this time, the Apostle Paul is now under house arrest in Rome. But he has liberty to receive those who want to come and listen to his teaching, and people come. 
and we're told that from morning till evening he explained and declared to those who came the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus and at the very last two verses of Acts of the Apostles we read for two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him boldly and without hindrance he preached the kingdom of God and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ when did you last hear a preacher preaching on the kingdom of God maybe quite a while Mm. but you see it's running right through the New Testament Gospels and Acts and by the way in the Greek of the Acts 28 here the very last word in the Greek is the word translated in the NIV earlier in the verse as without hindrance when God is moving in power when he's blessing what's going on he deals with their hindrances he blows them away so Paul ended his life with with a great spurt of freedom if you like to preach freely even though he was in a situation where he was under house arrest the word of God went out the the last chapter of the book of Acts the early history of the church ends in this wonderful word unhindered you can't stop God doing what he wants to do (laughs) and I love that because I don't like backing losers if I'm working with God I know that you can't stop God doing what he chooses to do right we're getting there first of all the kingdom is to be sought in prayer it has been widely preached and it has also been wonderfully provided now amazingly we don't find the kingdom of God only in the New Testament we find it in the Old Testament we go back to the days of Moses we go back to Exodus 19 and this is just before the giving of the Ten Commandments and what is being said by God to Moses to pass on to the people here it is Acts 19 and verse 8 verse 5 If you obey me fully, God says, and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you, the Jewish people, will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now he's not talking about what they became eventually under a king, a political kingdom. Not talking about that. He's talking about a spiritual kingdom. You will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's in the second book of the Bible, in the days of Moses. The Jewish people failed miserably to become that spiritual kingdom that God desired them to be. There were glorious exceptions, but many of them failed miserably. Now, if we move forward to the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, what do we find? We find John exiled in the island of Patmos and he's about to describe the wonderful vision he had of the risen Lord Jesus. Uh, That's before the letters to the seven churches in in, in Turkey. And he says this in Revelation 1, To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, he's addressing Jesus, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. 
to him be glory and power. And if we move over to chapter 5 in Revelation, now John is describing what he saw and heard as he was allowed to look into heaven and hear what was going on. And he says they were singing a new song. And this is how the song went. You are worthy, address to Jesus the words again, you are worthy to take the scroll and open the seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Every Christian congregation, every local church of God's people is called to be a mini kingdom, a kingdom of priests. Our priestly ministry is exercised towards God. And our kingly ministry is exercised in which direction? Towards the opposing kingdom, which is the kingdom of Satan. So if we can say that the gospel is all about producing salvation for lost sinful people, the kingly power of God, the kingdom of God, is all about wreaking destruction on the kingdom of darkness and liberating captives. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes, just take one or two other references. In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, Paul is saying something about the kingdom here. Romans 14, verse 17. He's saying, first of all, what the kingdom is not. It's not. He says there the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not to do with basic human things that we all do naturally. and It's not a spiritual exercise, eating breakfast or drinking tea. The kingdom of God is not about that sort of thing. The kingdom of God, he says, is a matter of righteousness, which we need and God gives us when we come to Jesus, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So here you see the power is now clearly described as the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of the kingdom. And here is a situation where kingdom in action is visible. Kingdom in action is visible. You see, you and I who know the Lord Jesus Christ People should see in us, and they do see in us, something different from what they see in unbelievers. And they should see our righteousness, our, our uprightness, our, our godliness, if you like. We should be good people. And we should also be people overflowing with peace and joy. These are signs of the kingdom. Yes. First Corinthians 4. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth and they've had some problems and he's coming to sort them out. And he says, when I come, I'll find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but I'll find out what power they have. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20. For the kingdom of God, he says, is not a matter of talk, but of power. I'm sure you'll agree with me when I say many local Christian congregations have reduced the kingdom of God to a matter of talk and there ain't much power accompanying it 
And that is tragic. Talk without power is pathetic. We can all talk 16 to the dozen. But can we all operate kingdom power wherever we go? Let me remind you of the great promise of the Lord Jesus in Acts 1.8. To his disciples he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So, this kingdom of God is to be sought in prayer. It has been widely preached and it has been wonderfully provided to get the will of God done. Two more points, but they're much briefer than the first one. Secondly, it is to be seized by force. Still in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11 and verse 12, where Jesus says, I tell you the truth among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. He was the last in the sense of the Old Testament prophets. There have been no prophets for 400 years. And up pops John the Baptist to prepare for the ministry of Jesus. But, says Jesus, John the Baptist, for all his greatness, is least in the kingdom yet no, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is greater than he then he says this extraordinary thing Jesus says from the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing one thing the kingdom does not do is stand still it's a kingdom that is in motion it's moving, it's advancing not retreating the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. And then here's, here's the challenge now. And forceful men, forceful people, lay hold of it. Different translations say men of violence, take it by force. Forceful people have been seizing it. What does this mean? Can you picture something that's a kind of illustration, if you like, of this kingdom of God? It's power in motion. Power in motion. And the picture that I find helpful is the picture of a fast train. That train is in motion. It's moving at speed. Happily, it does stop at various stations. And it's just about to pull out of the station. And you realize you should be on that train, but it's already moving. And you run! Because you don't want to be left behind. That's the picture here. That's the picture. Oh, what is this saying to us? It's saying don't think, don't imagine that to really become a kingdom person all you have to do is just sit back and relax and pray. Ah, oh, that's part of it. The praying is part of it. But this is praying of a special variety. This is praying in desperation. This is praying like Jacob prayed when he said to God, God's representative, I won't let you go until you bless me. See, when we get an image of this kingdom, when we get a picture of this kingdom, we begin to realize the potential of this kingdom. We want to be there. We want to be involved in it. And Jesus said, well, there's a price to pay. There's a price to pay. Forceful men lay hold of it.
kingdom has been advancing and is advancing and forceful people lay hold of it. Forceful people have been seizing it. But you see this image of running to catch the moving train implies serious effort and strong determination. I don't know what you're making of this. I hope you're sensing something that God wants to impart. If we go to Luke chapter 16, we find actually Luke reporting something very similar to what Matthew reports here. Luke chapter 16. Uh, he says there, if I can find it quickly for you. Ah. Sorry, I can't, I can't find it. Never mind. It's the same, it's a, it's the same thing in, in the same language. He talks about the kingdom and grasping it by force. Grasping it by force. How much do you want to experience kingdom power in your personal life and through this little family here, this family of believers? Well, big question. It's to be sought in prayer to be seized by force and finally it is to be seen in action because when this kingdom ministry when this kingdom living is operating especially if it's operating at full power it's visible people see things they weren't seeing before turn the page to Matthew chapter 12 and Jesus has been ministering he brought, they brought to him a demonized man who was blind and dumb and Jesus healed him so he could both talk and see and the people of course were thrilled could this be the son of David, could this be the Messiah and the Pharisees as usual were indignant and furious oh they made fun of it if it is only by Beelzebub of the prince of demons this fellow is driving out demons and Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand isn't that when marriages break up isn't that when churches split when people divide against other people and the kingdom is wrecked if Satan drives out Satan, Jesus is saying, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And he's pointing out how ridiculous the Pharisees' assertion is. Because kingdom, uh, Satan is no fool. He would never dream of working against himself. But then Jesus says, If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. And here's the punchline. But, said Jesus, if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. They just witnessed it. This guy was demonized. His life was being messed up by a, a demonic power in his life. And he was blind. And he was dumb. And just like that, he was set free. The demon was gone. And he could see. And he could speak. The people saw the kingdom of God in action when they saw King Jesus doing these wonderful things. I don't know about you, 
But how long the seed is. Yes, I've seen some wonderful things in my day. I've seen God do some wonderful things. I've seen miraculous things. I've seen supernatural power working quickly and efficiently and effectively and a person being transformed. I've seen that. But it's very rare. Why has it got to be so rare? The fact is, you see, the reason why we need kingdom power in our personal lives, in our church life, is because the opposing kingdom, the kingdom of Satan, is incredibly powerful, incredibly active, and horribly determined, and absolutely ruthless. Why are being, people being slaughtered like beasts all over the place, all over the world? Not just in Syria and Iraq, but here in the UK. Hardly a day passes, but somebody's murdered. Why has it got to be so bad? Because Satan's power is not being restrained. And the only people on earth who can restrain it are those who belong to Jesus. And those who are determined to pay the price and become kingdom people who practice kingdom living and I can tell you from experience it's much more fun experiencing kingdom living than being down as it were in defeat and shame and things going wrong and you never seem to be living on top you're not, you're not overcoming evil ah, that's no fun to anybody but to see God working in your own life and in the lives of those around you I may be wrong, but I know that for me this was hap- this was had, had to happen. Other people may get a different way in. But for me, and I can't even remember the details, it's a long, long time ago. For me, there had to come a time when I had a showdown with Satan. When Satan went a little too far, and the fire of God in me somehow blazed into a flame and there was an almighty showdown and I made it clear to Satan he was not going to win the blood of Jesus has cleansed me from my sin and you from yours if you're a believer and it's our sin that gives Satan leverage in our lives but when our sin is forgiven and we seek by the grace of God to live without sin as much as possible then we're far more powerful than we ever imagined we could be. But it's all thanks to the Holy Spirit energizing and empowering the kingdom of God and the kingly people of God. Do you want to be a kingdom person? Do you want to practice kingdom living? You see, Jesus... In Luke 11, Luke 10, with this we finish. Luke 10, Jesus sent out 72 others who were not apostles. They were not the leadership, if you like, of the church. He sent out other people. And he gave them authority. And they came back excited and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and serpents and to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing will harm you. That is the promise of Jesus. 
to every believer. He says, I have, oh, I have given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. Satan would love that verse to be deleted from Scripture, but it stands because it's true and it's vital. He has given us authority as believers, but to operate in that authority, we have got to live. And I know this is the hard part, this is the challenging part. We have got to live in careful obedience to our Saviour and Lord and King. What did God say through Moses to the Jewish people? If you obey me fully, I will make you a kingdom. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts, you know our minds. You know how each one of us is reacting to what we've heard this morning. If there is confusion, will you dispel that confusion, please? Will you create in each one of us a willingness, a desire, a strong desire for kingdom living? Forgive us if in the past, up until now perhaps, we have not really been a serious threat to the evil one. Give us for the gospel's sake, for the spread of the gospel, for the salvation of the lost, and above all for the glory of Jesus. Give us a desire and a willingness, a longing to be effective agents of your wonderful kingdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.